simply initially was just trying to escape reality and responsibility. But the great lesson we see is still down deep inside him. There was, this, this is what we see in the great lesson we see here. There was a desire inside of this man still with everything that's going on in his life. There is a desire down deep inside of him for help. He, there, he wanted, there's a desire for love. There's a desire to be set free. This is why we read in verse 6, if you look in verse 6, he says, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him. He ran and worshipped him. Now, we understand, that, and I know we think, okay, this is, this is a demon possession, and so you've got the humanity that still exists, and so it was the humanity that ran to him to worship him, but I don't believe that's, that's true, but regardless, it's still a picture of what goes on in those of us who are not demon-possessed, but we have been through the same hurts, through the same fears, through the same anxieties. We, the, the same thing is taking place with so, so many that we've counseled over the years. We see this exact same thing. It says, but when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him. That word worshiped, when you look up the definition, it's an implication like a dog licking his master's hand. My my thought is is that that when he approached Jesus and it says he ran to him, he really wants help. He really wants to be set free. He ran to him. He kneels down, and it's like, like a dog will lick the hand. I believe he maybe even started kissing the hand of Jesus. And so it's, that's, that's how he's worshiping. But immediately he screams, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Now this is, this is so incredibly classic to what uh, we've seen. And my wife and I both dealt with this much. But what did, why did he say this? Because Jesus had told him, and often we kind of miss this, but he says this, that the demon says this from inside of him, says uh, this because Jesus had just previously, now that it comes afterwards, but he had previously told him and commanded him to come out. And look at verse 8, it says, for he, for he said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. You see, he said that, and then the man, the unclean spirit says, what I have to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God, I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For, because he said unto him, come out. So, Jesus is telling him to come out. Now you say, well, why didn't he come out? If Jesus spoke, why didn't he come out? Because, listen, God does everything. It's kind of the same reason that the Lord, the first time he touched the blind man, but he couldn't see completely. You say, well, couldn't Jesus, didn't Jesus have the power to do that? And we've preached about it. Uh, of course he did. God does what he does so we can learn from what he's doing. He can do whatever he wants to do as he wants to, but he wants us to learn from it. And so, now, they very possibly believe that Jesus, the, the demons inside of this man, what I believe from the reading of it, I believe they thought that Jesus was there 
to possibly begin their predestined torment. And they were like, don't do it to us now. To teach us, now, to teach us, all this is happening, to teach us for all generations some wonderful principles. And I believe this is why he does not come out immediately, but is allowed to speak. In verse 9, and he asked him, what is thy name? And he answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. I mentioned it this morning, maybe you weren't here this morning, but but legion, a Roman legion consisted of 6,000 soldiers. If this is what the, this reference meant, that's almost beyond incredible that inside of one man could be 6,000 demons. You say, well, maybe it wasn't really 6,000 demons. Well, I, I can just tell you there was 2,000 pigs that ran into the water. And let me help you. The pigs that didn't have a demon in them wasn't in running into the water. They wouldn't have gone. So we know there's at least 2,000. I believe it's legion. It's 6,000. They had multiples going into the pigs. Now, again, all this is sort of foundational, but the lessons are these, and it's going to be pretty simple. Like, number one, this is a picture of not just demon possession, but also a teaching on how many people have been hurt, wounded, abused, molested, abandoned, rejected, and have opened themselves up to mental, emotional, and spiritual attack, and how they've reacted to that. Number two, it's everyone down in the deepest part of their soul. I believe this with all my heart. Everyone down in the deepest part of their soul wants to be loved, wants to be accepted, wants to be set free from that which torments their soul. That's why, folks, we have to be here at Calvary so very, very patient. Because there's a lot of hurting people that will come through our doors. And some of them, and I'm about to explain to you why, but some of them may, may not act exactly right. But I hope after tonight we'll understand a little bit more why some of them act the way they do. And I'll, I'll do that. And so I've given, I'm sure, this illustration somewhere before, but and, and forgive me, when you travel as much as I do, you really forget where you say what. Uh, and over the years, travel so much. Then I know the other thing is, it, it wouldn't matter if I preached this to you last week. You wouldn't remember it anyway. <laughs> but years ago, we were at a camp. And um, in that camp, it was a day camp. One of the things we don't, you know, we don't normally do that, but it was a day camp is what they call a horse camp where they would learn to ride horses and they would learn to do it. But there were, it was a lot of kids, probably 100, 125 or 30 or something there. But So I would preach to them during the day because they wouldn't stay overnight. I'd just preach to them during the day. I'd preach in the morning, preach in the afternoon. <clears throat> and that morning, the very first morning on Monday morning, I saw, you know, the buses and things came, come in and a, and a, a girl came in. She's probably about 14 years old. 
she got off the bus, and honestly, she, she was a pretty little girl, but immediately I saw the black fingernails, the gothic clothing, just the whole image. And, and it, immediately in my heart, I thought, okay, I want to make sure that girl gets saved this week. I just, I just, I, I just did. So I began to preach that morning, and, and that morning after I got through preaching, normally on the very first service, I don't hit salvation really, really hard, but I did because I don't know which one of these kids are coming back. You know, most camps are going to stay overnight, but I don't know if they'll get on the bus tomorrow and come back. So I preached salvation, and that girl was one of the very first ones to raise her hand wanting to get saved. Well, I thought, wow, Lord, that was easy. So one of the counselors took her and took her off uh, alone, and, and several of the kids did, and went to her off alone, and, and I just kind of waiting for people to come back. And, and the counselor came back. Instead of bringing the girl to me, the girl went walking back toward her seat, and the lady came walking up to me, and I said, what happened? She said, I asked her if she wanted to be saved, and she said, yes. I took her through the plan of salvation, and when I got to the end of it, she just said, No. No, I can't do this. Well, I thought, wow. So that afternoon, I preached again. She raised her hand again. Joe Beth will remember this. That she raised her hand again. Same scenario. Tuesday, same thing. Wednesday, same thing. Every time, as best I can remember, every time I gave an invitation, that girl raised her hand. And then finally on Thursday night, there was the one night that many of them would stay overnight. They had a little camp out where they would ride horses and take the covered wagon and do all this and go to a big bonfire and they'd put up tents and different things. And, and so uh, they would have me preach around the bonfire. And as I began to preach around the bonfire, I, 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 I started to preach. And the truth is I was preaching this, this message for the very first time. And God gave it to me that day, and I believe for that girl. And I began to preach on who was that man. And that was my theme through the message over and over. I kept saying, who was that man? And in the dark, I could not see him, but in the dark, as I was saying there toward the end of my message, who was that man? And this is what I was told later. All of a sudden, there was a commotion there with three or four girls and then it was like this, this kind of mass, you know, five or six girl exodus and some counselors off to. And when they came back, that little girl had gotten saved. And I said, what happened? And the girls that were with her said that every time I would say, who was that man, that she, with tears dripping out of her eyes, would say, me. It was me. Because I would describe that man. He was a man that was hurt. A man that was abused. A man that was molested. A man that was abandoned. And she kept saying, it's me. Now God taught me something. And the third point about this is just like the maniac of Gadara, everyone else in this world wants to be set free. But here's what happens. When love approaches, they often th throw up a wall. 
They flee, they run, they stiffen up because in their minds, listen, those who said they loved them before hurt them. And they believe if I let them in again, they will hurt me, quote, torment me. So in a sense, they come pleading, begging for someone to help them. They come wanting, desiring love. They come wanting, desiring to have purpose and be set free. They come wanting, desiring an answer to the the chaos and and the torture in their life. They want it, but the moment you come and approach them with love, the moment you come and say there's an unconditional love that loves you, the moment you come and maybe as a counselor, a preacher, a teacher, and say, listen, we love you and want to help you, suddenly they go, Get back. Stop tormenting me. Because, you see, everybody that said they loved them hurt them. So if I let you in, you're going to hurt me. So right when I want it so badly, fear overwhelms the fear of pain and torture throws up the wall and says no if I stop you now it doesn't hurt so bad if I stop you now and and, and you'll go away then it that I don't have to face rejection I don't have to face abandonment if I stop you now you can't hurt me you see, that's what we see in this life of this maniac of Gadara. He's coming and he says, he comes and he worships at the feet of Jesus, but he says, stand straight up. And, and the Bible says he, with a loud voice, he, he screamed, torment me not. You say, well, that's a, a demon-possessed person. I understand, but the, the picture is there and the truth is there. The principles are there. It's the same thing that what happens to us. They feel the best defense is to not let anyone in. The wonderful truth is that Jesus, and this that I mentioned this morning, is more powerful than any demon. And the Lord illustrates this to us by letting us know that it was, he was more powerful than 6,000. I don't know if that means anything to you, but you know, God doesn't just put stuff in the Bible just without a purpose. And I think he wants us to understand how powerful the name of Jesus is. You know, it's one thing that Jesus was stronger than one demon. Well, let me tell you, Michael the archangel is probably stronger than one. But Jesus, all he had to do was speak, and 6,000 of them had to depart. The Lord teaches us that it is Helpful, and here's another thing I think principally we see in here. It's helpful to know specifically what you're dealing with. That's why they didn't come out immediately. So that the Lord could teach us that when you 
are going to struggle with a demonic force that's trying to mess with your head. To try. Have you ever been praying and all kinds of stupid thoughts come in? Have you ever been trying to sleep and, and, and the weirdest, most stupid dreams come into your head? Let me just tell you what you need to do. You need to get up at that moment and pray. But there's a specific prayer. You need to pray and ask the Lord Jesus in the name of Jesus Christ. Name that thing. If it's trying to bring fear into your life, look, God hath not given us the spirit of fear. Listen, we have fear. God says there's fear is good. Fear of God is good. But the spirit of fear, God says, I don't give you that. And if it's trying to bring you to fear, hey, listen, you ought to be named that and say, this spirit of fear, you need to leave because I am a child of God. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And in the name of Jesus, you've got to go. I don't know how many times this helped me at night. I'm... As sincere as I can be, I believe that because we're having a spiritual warfare conference, because of the direction that God has been taking me for days, I've been in a, in a, in a spiritual battle more so than I normally am. I didn't sleep hardly a wink last night. But the truth is, is that God's teaching us through this story, one of the things that's going to help you when you're really battling one that's tough, that's really just does not want to go, find his name. Am I, am I, am I getting too spooky, Mike? Are you all okay? I just feel like some people are like, that's what Jesus did. All I'm, all I'm doing is, look, this book is true, isn't it? This really happened. And God shows us, surely Jesus had the power to make them leave immediately, but they don't. And why? So he could demonstrate to us, so he could illustrate to us that sometimes you got to back up and say, who are you? Now, it also applies in this way. I believe that, that he says, what is thy name? It's helpful in dealing with the enemy to name it. Yes, to name a demon if that's what's trying to affect your thinking. I'm not saying you're demon-possessed. I'm saying that they influence us. They try to affect our minds. They try to influence our thinking. They try to get us in fear. They try to get us in despair. They try to get us to be discouraged and despondent. That's something that, that it's a lot more of a spiritual battle than we realize. But I think, yes, to name the demon, but also to name the hurt, the issue, the pain that brought us to this state. I think it's good to say sometimes, listen, Lord, I know the reason I'm feeling this way is because of something that happened to me. I know that I'm carrying this with me. You know, folks, we can't cure it or eliminate it until we recognize it. But it's also a lesson for us that Jesus is more powerful than whatever the name and regardless of the name. Here's what I want you to understand. You say, but Brother Hooker, I, I, I really don't know. 
what this turmoil is. I mean, I, I'm, in, I, I'm tormented by dream. I can't sleep. I'm tormented by dreams. And, 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 but I can't even remember what it was. And I, I don't know what it is. And I, I don't know what I'm feeling. Let me just help you. Jesus is still more powerful regardless of the name. You know why? Because his name is above every name. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 through 21 says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come. No matter what the name is, Jesus teaching us that it'll help us. But he's also letting us know that his authority, it doesn't matter what that demon's name is, he's still greater. So, what I'm trying to do tonight is I, I think there's a, a, there's a time where we need to name it. And I know there's a fine line here, and I don't want to get just crazy. I know there's a fine line here about hurts and demonic influence. I understand that. But I believe that we need to name it and, and, and ask ourselves, is it disbelief? Are you struggling with believing? You know, in, in churches like ours and all over this nation, I've been everywhere in conferences and camps. It's amazing how many people day after day, week after week, year after year, are still battling with their salvation. Are you hanging on, listen to this, are you hanging on to self-sufficiency, your good works? And because you're hanging on to your good works, that keeps you in doubt and fear of eternity. You see, because it's only being justified by faith that you have peace with God. Would you really accept the fact and admit the fact that it's your unwillingness to forgive? Or are you still holding on to that grudge? Holding on to that hurt? Is it fear? Not godly fear. Is it the spirit of fear that just you live in fear? You know, that just somehow it's all going to go wrong. Somehow it's all going to fall through. Somehow, no matter what's happening, it's going to turn bad. Because you just fear. Is it bitterness? Is it a desire for vengeance? You know, that's one of the most crucial, I think, in this day and age is that I know I wouldn't have termed it vengeance, but the truth was, I think it was. The thing that I held on to and that God had to take me and teach me was that I was holding on to, yes, I, I would say, yes, I forgive, but I still want them to pay. I suffered, shouldn't they? Is it, 
Is it simply pride? Maybe the most dangerous sin of all. Is it anger? And you can kind of tell if it is. If there's certain things that no matter how it's said or done, it lights your fuse. Is it the fear of rejection and the fear of failure? Is it hatred and the desire, as I said, to see someone else hurt the way you've been hurt? I believe when you name it, I think it helps so much because now you know specifically what you need Jesus to cleanse. And once you name it, that's when you name the name of Jesus. Acts 4, 7 says this, And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Hey, do you understand that at this point uh, that uh, Jesus is not physically present, yet they say that it's by him this man stands here whole? You know why? Because they spoke in the name and authority of Jesus Christ. The demons knew who Jesus was, and the demons knew his power. The demons knew his authority. The demons knew they must obey his command. The question is, do we really know who Jesus is, and do we believe in his power to make us free? Folks, good Christians have been holding on to too much baggage too long. We need to let it go. And the way to let it go is to acknowledge what it is, name it, and through the name of Jesus, command it to be gone. I believe Jesus can cleanse me. I've, I know that he's done it for me. I, I have to admit, it, I, I've told you this, I've preached this, but, but I, I was on a road to destruction of bitterness while all along preaching to people about bitterness. Because I said the right words. But I'd never acknowledged the fact that I had not cleansed it. I'd only subdued it. Do you know who Jesus is? Do you believe in his power to make you free? Philippians 2.9 says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the things in heaven, of the things in earth, and, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. John fourteen six says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And, and listen, he said, I am the way, the truth. Jesus is is the truth and John 8 32 says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free so my point don't run for him tonight run from him tonight don't fear him don't run from those this and this and this is so important don't run from those trying to help you and I want you to remember we read, just read it but it was Peter 
filled with the Holy Ghost that we read about who was used to heal the impotent man. But he didn't heal him. He makes it clear Jesus did. He was just the instrument that came in the authority of Christ. Man is not perfect. Here's our excuse. Well, Jesus wouldn't hurt me, but man will. Man is not perfect, but not everybody's going to hurt you. Not everybody is. Somebody always, there'll always be somebody who'll fail you. But listen, not everybody's going to fail you. Not everybody's going to hurt you. This final statement. This maniac, the thing that I learned, this maniac of Gadara, apparently for a long, long time had been this way. He had broken the chains, and it says that this happened over and over again. They had bound him, and they couldn't bind him. He had broken the chains. He had broken the fetters. They couldn't stop him. So he'd been this way for a long time. But listen to me. This is where, this is again, this is the life of Satan. I've tried and tried to change, and it hadn't worked yet. So I don't think it ever will. That's a lie. This man was in bondage, in torture, emotionally, physically, without hope. All the world would have said there's no hope. Truth is, any one of us, if it had happened to us and we got off the boat and that guy came running at us, we'd be back on the boat. And say, there's nothing I can do for this dude. But listen now. We say, yeah, but Jesus. Jesus would have never healed him if he had not one more time tried to overcome his fear and get help. If he had stayed in the tombs, Jesus would have walked on by. But see, this man somehow reached way down and said, I'm going to try again. I'm going to try one more time. I'm going to try one more time. One more time, I'm going to try. You know, it was that one more time that set him free. I just, I, I look out, and, and I guess the reason this is so important to me, and I wish somehow I could transfer it to you, is because maybe not visibly, maybe not physically, not outward appearance, but I was a preacher, and I know the torment of my heart. I know the torment. And I know as I lay in that bed and God saying to me, are you going to try one more time?
And God gave me the strength and allowed me to try one more time. And my wife said right here, I am a different man than I was. Because the truth, Jesus, made me free. But I had to recognize the enemy that was destroyed. Scripture says this demoniac of Gadara went away whole. He was made whole. He went away whole. How will you walk out of here tonight? Father, I pray that you bless our 